You're listening to Lauren's Story, a daughter with congenital heart defects on the Child Life On Call podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Child Life On Call podcast. When your child is sick, the whole world seems to stop in its tracks. Plans and priorities change, and your number one job becomes figuring out how to get your child well again. For some of us, Rest, medications, and relaxation can do the trick, but for others, it takes more. It takes countless doctor appointments, invasive medical testing, therapy, surgeries, the list goes on, and then you still may not have all of the answers or results you were hoping for. This podcast features parents of children that have an illness or medical condition and gives them a place to share their own journeys and experiences. We will talk about the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, But one thing seems to remain the same. Children are resilient and teach us more about ourselves and the world than we could ever imagine. Thank you so much for lending a listening ear and opening up your heart to these families and this podcast. I'm your host, Katie Taylor. This happened to us and it, we've had some really bad days and we've had some really bad moments and times where we didn't know if we were going to make it out on the other side um but we have and she is a spitfire and she's doing incredible and she's funny and she's happy and we want to make a difference for other people then because I hope that more have a really great quality of life um despite being born with a heart defect Oh man, I am so excited for you guys to hear my conversation with Lauren. I swear, their home is just filled with superheroes. So that's just how it goes from Lauren herself to her daughter, Everly, who we're going to talk about today and her husband, who is amazing and Everly's big brother, Jack, who's just a superhero. This family just amazes me. Little Everly is just over two years old and has more fight and life inside of her than most of us could ever dream of. And she's not the only one. Prepare to be amazed by Big Brother too. And please do not be fooled by Lauren's optimistic perspective. They have had their share of complications and setbacks, and some of which are even still affecting them at this very moment. So the fact that she spent an hour on the phone with me, I just feel so honored to be sharing this conversation with you. So to those of you who are listening, I want you to pay close attention to the advice that Lauren gives and the wisdom that she shares and has learned in just a little over two years since Everly was born. Here's my conversation with Lauren. My name is Lauren and my husband, Matt, and my seven-year-old son, Jack, and our two-year-old daughter, Everly, live in one of the northwest suburbs of Chicago, about an hour and a half north of the city. We... Um, we're so excited to have, um, a sibling for Jack when we found out that we were pregnant. We had been trying for a little while and it kind of felt like, well, maybe it's not going to happen. Maybe it's not in the cards. And then we found out we were pregnant with Everly and we're just thrilled. And, um, through some complications throughout my pregnancy, I had a lot of ultrasounds and at an ultrasound at 33 and a half weeks. And mind you, by this point, I had had a lot of ultrasounds, um, but the heart's really tiny. Um, at 33 and a half weeks, we found out that Everly had a heart defect and that kind of changed everything. Um, and so since that 33 and a half mark, our life has changed. Um, it's, it's different than what it used to be like, but there's, a lot of, there's been a lot of really hard times, but there's been a lot of really good things and a lot of perspective that has come from it. And we are finally now in a pretty good place for a little while. And we're getting to feel kind of like a normal family going to the pumpkin farm and um, to an outsider. We just look like a happy family of four with a seven-year-old and a healthy two-year-old. And oh, that's kind of us in a nutshell right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I bet you wish you could go back to that ultrasound and tell yourself, okay, it's going to be really hard, but when Everly's two and Jack is seven, you're going to go to a pumpkin farm. (laughs) It's going to feel normal again. If you could go back and tell yourself that. I wish that I could go back in those last few weeks of my pregnancy that I 
honestly, that was probably the most sad and miserable time that we've had was before she was actually born. It was the anticipation. I wish that I could go back and let myself see what she looks like now because she's spicy. She's sassy. She's brilliant. Like she's shockingly smart for how long she didn't have enough oxygen. Um, And I think all I saw when I was pregnant was just worst case scenario. And she has defied all of that. And I, I just wish that I could have enjoyed those last few weeks, but it was only a few weeks. Actually, I sometimes people will ask me, do you wish that you knew at 20 weeks? Because some heart defects you can see at 20 weeks. And she had the defects then. It didn't come about at 33 and a half weeks. It just, they just weren't able to see it in the ultrasound. Um, and I'm glad I didn't know. I, I'm glad I didn't have 20 weeks to be so nervous and so worried that I, I'm glad it was only it ended up being about five weeks before they induced me, but yeah, it's, it's been a whirlwind, but yeah, we're in a really good place. We're hoping to get another hopefully year or so before her next open heart surgery. And so that means we are just trying to live it up, like whatever we can do to have fun and get her out. And it's great that she's alive because we realized that 10, 20 years ago, she wouldn't have made it this long, but we want her to live her life. Like we want her to have fun. We want her to love it. And so we're finally able to do that. And she's just so happy. It's so fun to see the joy through her eyes of like, there's a pumpkin. I mean, it's just like the littlest things make her so happy. And all Matt, my husband and my seven-year-old son, Jack and I, it gives us a neat perspective to like, remember to look at the little things and how, little things can make somebody so happy. Sure. Absolutely. And I really want to get to, um, eventually what a big advocate you are for Everly and for Jack too. Um, and just your family and what your experiences, but I guess before we get too deep into that, um, just, can you give us a little bit of a background about what heart defects she has and kind of what the beginning of her life was like? Sure. Um, Everly's, has a bunch of heart defects actually, but um, the biggest one that needed to be corrected right away was interrupted aortic arch. And so what this meant was that her aorta was not connected to the rest of her body. So I went in for this echocardiogram that the OB sent me to the high risk cardiologist and said, let's just check. It'll probably be nothing. And I sat down and the cardiologist after an hour of images he goes so you came alone huh and I was like okay well that can't be good I was like okay tell me what what do you got to tell me and he said here's a picture of a normal heart and he drew a picture and then he drew a picture of Everly's heart and he said your baby's not going to be able to go home without an open heart surgery she essentially will go would go home look kind of fine for a day or two and this um valve would close that is open in utero and closes a few days after birth. And then all of a sudden she's not going to have blood to the lower half of her body. So we're going to need to fix that right away. And he said, this defect, it'll be a one-time surgery. You'll be there for, you know, a few weeks, months. um, And then she should do pretty well. Um, And he said, you know, interrupted aortic arch does um, sometimes come with the George syndrome too, we don't want to do an amnio on you right now because we don't want to put you into labor. You live too far away from a hospital that can take care of your baby. And um, we were also, there was that unknown of if she had the George syndrome as well, Um, but it wasn't going to change how they treated her heart. And it wasn't, there wasn't anything they needed to do if she had the George syndrome right away anyways. Um, So fast forward a few weeks, And I needed to be induced at a hospital that had heart surgeons that could handle Everly. And so I did a bunch of um, research. And by us, we actually have three really great hospitals that are all about an hour and a half away. We met with um, Everly's heart surgeon and we knew this this is the one. Um, Her heart defect is rare. Um, so we wanted somebody who had done it. Like it wasn't just a few times that they had done it, but they had a lot of experience. So this felt like a good fit for us. So I get induced 
and I hold her for 10 seconds. There's a zillion people in the room, all for her, not for me. And um, they needed to take her right away because it was imperative that she got an IV started and got medicine that would keep that valve that I mentioned earlier open so that it wouldn't close. So they were just ready for her and prepared like the second I walked in the door to be induced. And so they took her and they did an echo on her out of my belly because obviously you can see a lot more when she's flat and less skin to go through. And the doctor came back in and he said, well, some things didn't grow like we thought they would between your last echo and now. And it looks like there's a few other little, they're not really ever little, but little compared to her other heart defects. There's some heart defects that we couldn't see in your belly and that heart surgery is not going to happen. Your baby's actually going to have the worst heart surgery possible and she's going to need heart surgeries for the rest of her life. And our motto had always kind of been like, you can do anything for a short time, one heart surgery. Okay, sure. Fine. We can do that. And um, so this was just a lot to take right then in that moment. And, um, but then I was like, well, okay, a few heart surgeries, we can do that every time. Then we'll get a break and then a few more and then get a break. Okay, we can do it. And um, we met with the surgeons again and they came in and they're like, you know what, we've done the surgery um, a number of times. We're very confident that she's going to do well. Yes, she's going to have a bunch of heart surgeries, but her prognosis now um, is to live into adulthood, which with the initial defect it was too, but I guess I'm saying now because not that many years ago, that was not the prognosis. Babies with heart defects like Everly did not live into their 20s, 30s, 40s. And now these kids are starting to, which is absolutely incredible. Um, And so then we just prepared for those couple days to get her, um, body ready, like kind of calmed down a little bit after being born. And then they swooped her away into the first open heart surgery. And then our life just continued to um, kind of, I don't know, not just change in different ways. Like there was just so much that we had to learn. Um, And the um, cardiac ICU is incredible. They teach parents so much stuff. Um, So with Everly's particular surgery and heart defect, she was then going to be part of a high-risk clinic. And there was a roadmap, if you will, or like almost it looked like a game board of all the things a parent had to be able to do for your baby to be discharged from the hospital. And so it was all the things that we needed to learn uh, what each medication was for, what the possible side effects were, why she was taking that medication, when we would notice if a dose needed to change, how to weigh her on a special scale, how to insert an NG tube into her nose. Um, I am grateful um, that I had a baby before I had Everly, that I had Jack, because there were things like I knew how to change a diaper already. I knew how to put a baby in a car seat. I knew how to open a stroller. Um, But um, I guess when I say it was just like a change is like you're pregnant and you're like, oh my gosh, my baby, I set up newborn pictures and I got all these hair bows and I got all these beautiful outfits and I took pictures of my baby intubated with a hair bow on. It it just, you know, it just was very different. It was a lot to take in. And in those moments, my husband and I would just continue to remind ourselves, like, how grateful we were that there was something that could be done. Um, Yes, it was awful. Yes, it's horrible. I think one of the worst things you could see as a parent is your newborn baby intubated, crying and no sound coming out. But that was keeping her alive. I mean, that was helping her to breathe. So thank goodness there was something that could be done, but it's a lot, you know, I mean, just having a baby alone is a lot, Um, a healthy baby. And then adjusting to all these new things that you have to know and learn. And I was a teacher and a literacy coach. I, I don't have a medical background. So it was very overwhelming. And 
the doctors, the surgeons, the nurses, they were all so patient and they are so great with parents and really want to educate you because they realize that um, they see your baby for a short period of time, whether it's a few weeks, a few months, and we're the people at home that have to know how to take care of the baby for them to be, to thrive as well. It's not just the surgeon. Um, it's a team. You just talked about kind of what your mind frame was that, you know, this is hard to see what we're going through, but it's actually helping her. And I'm just wondering, how did you, did you kind of have that innately from the beginning? Or is that a motto that you had to work toward? And it took a lot of practice and support? Or how did that work for you? Um, I think that being a teacher before um, being a parent and before then having a baby with CHD helped me to kind of always just find the positives in situations because as a teacher, there were times where there were things you might not want to do or hard days or difficult situations or kids were having challenging days. And I would talk to them and I would say, well, you know what, let's try to find the good things. Let's try to think of something good that happened today, or let's try to think of something good from this situation. Maybe the situation wasn't good, but what can we learn from it? Or how can we turn this around? Um, and with our son, Jack, those were conversations he had as sometimes he struggled to go to preschool and he was sad and he was missing us and said, but here's the, what's good about going to preschool and you get to play with your friends. And so that's always kind of been, I think, in my personality and then kind of just our way of life as a family. Um, one of the things we used to do when Jack was little was always try to think of something good that happened that day um, before he would go to bed. Cause sometimes there would be some anxiety even before I really was born just about what, what was happening the next day. Um, he's a worrier. So that was just always something we did. And so then as Everly was in the hospital and we had some really hard days. My husband and I would always try to find something good that happened. And honestly, some days in the hospital, it's a little hard to find something good, but maybe it was that one medication dosage was able to come down a little bit. And that could have been something that was positive. And um, I think it took us a couple months to really adjust to our life. And then and by adjust to our life, I don't mean to get more positive about it because we were feeling really good about how the surgery had went and the care team we had picked for her and that they would be a great care team for her subsequent surgeries and that they felt very confident with how well things were going. Um, but we had to adjust to putting an NG tube in your baby's nose is not something a normal mom does. And, um, having 5,000 medications out and making sure, you know, you can't be an hour late and you can't miss a dose and you can't forget, you know, I mean, there's just so many things we had to adjust to. And then my husband and I really just felt like, you know what, this happened and we have a choice now. What are we going to do? And like, what are we going to make of this? Because I, I do realize that it it's really hard. Um, and I, I know that a lot of parents really struggle with their child's diagnosis and the surgeries and it's, it's hard and it's emotional and I do have hard days and I do have emotional days, but we didn't want to sit around and just feel bad for her or feel bad for us or feel sad. Um, sometimes, you know, if even just fake smiling makes you happier, um, you know, I, we, we just were like, okay, we're going to make a difference for other people then. Um, we, what can we do to help other families? So, whether it's doing things for Ronald McDonald House, which is something I didn't know much about before having a baby, or um, share it, spreading awareness about congenital heart defects, because I felt really, really alone, especially in those weeks from when I got her um, diagnosis in utero to when she was born. I felt like I was the only person on the planet going through this. And if somebody hears our story and sees how well Everly is doing and that can help give them light because they just have a baby who was diagnosed with a CHD, then we have done something good with what has happened. Um, and so I think it's some days it's really easy and you don't have to try to talk yourself into finding the positives 
And then there's other days where you do have to work at it. And we always like each surgery we go through or each time we're away from each other where some of us are in the hospital and some of us are at home, we think, you know what, you can do anything for a short time. You could do anything for a short time and trying to just um, take advantage of all the good moments and finding that positive. It makes complete sense. And especially, you know, you mentioned that sometimes it's hard work to have to do it, but if that's your ritual and that's what works, then, then you got to do it. And maybe the next day it'll be a little bit easier to find it. Um, you mentioned in a lot of, uh, some of your other interviews and kind of what you wrote to me when we were talking before this interview that you really feel like the hospital staff and the care team encouraged you to be an advocate for your child, um, and for Everly. And so can you give me some examples of, of things that you felt really good about contributing to her care or something, you know, a moment that happened that you felt like, oh, wow, this team is really listening to me and I do know my daughter best? Yeah, we are very, very lucky. The team rounds every day several times and the whole team stands in a circle right outside the room. Um, and sometimes they come in the room, but it's kind of a lot for a baby um, especially when they're, you know, a newborn doesn't really realize everybody coming in. But when Ev was one, having her third surgery, that was overwhelming to her. So everybody stands there and we all talk about what's going on and how she's doing and what's happened in the past few hours since the last time we all talked and what we're going to change or what our goals for her are. And the team always makes me feel like I am one of the most important people. And this will sound kind of silly, but I kind of think of the surgeons like celebrities and they're not because honestly, they're like the nicest, kindest, like they don't act like that at all. I just am so like in awe with the things that they can do, but they treat me like I am like just their friend, you know, like they, they really do make me feel like I am a valuable person on the team. And I am really, really grateful for that because they'll say, what do you think? What have you seen? And I really value that because the doctors and the nurses, they need a break, obviously. They don't, they're not there 24 seven and they take great notes and they talk when they come and they go, but I'm the person that's there all the time, seeing the things that are changing or are not changing. And they, the doctors and the staff realize that. Um, there, Evie, um, you know, her heart surgeries are really big. So there's been complications, which totally stink. Like it does. <laughs> I mean, um, when something else bad happens, it, it's really unfortunate, but we try to focus on the fact that it, that stinks, but thank, thank goodness her heart is doing okay. Um, you know, the infiltrate in her foot or, an infection in her lungs. Yes, it was a setback. Yes, those weren't great things, but we were able to take care of them. Um, there, I'm pretty, uh, a pretty big, um, I'm very interested in her IVs um, because during her first surgery, um, she had an IV put in in the NICU and a few days later it came out after surgery and it, it just wasn't doing great and they pulled it out and stuck a Band-Aid on it and it it infiltrated and I actually think they call it like an extravasion. Um, I think I'm saying it right because hers like opened up outside of her skin. And so now I'm very aware of IVs. And so I'll say, I don't think this one is looking right. Like feel this skin. What do you think about this? And there have been many times where I have helped them to catch it because um, the procedure is to look at the IVs once an hour, but things happen in that, in between that hour. Um, and she's moving. And so I feel like that has been valuable that they have taught me so much about IVs that that's something I can do to help. Um, and recently, well, it wasn't recently, it was about a year ago now, thankfully, um, but her most recent surgery, um, the third open heart surgery, she wasn't doing very well. She at first was doing great. And then all of a sudden she just like took a turn for the worst. And I kept saying, I just, I, something is not right. This is just not what she's like. 
And they're like, yeah, we don't think so either. Okay, let's get some more blood work. And we were working as a team to try to figure out what was wrong. And um, I was advocating because I felt like we were trying to go back and forth. Well, is it just that she's too dry, like has too much diuretics? in her and that's what's making her this miserable or is it something else? I'm like, well, she's not, she's been dry before and she's not had this reaction. Um, so I think, I think that all of the doctors and nurses would all on our team would all agree that the prior experiences and sharing what she's been like in previous situations really helps them to figure out as quickly as possible what's wrong. Um, because it, unfortunately, you can't just look at somebody and know what's wrong in, the, in an instant. Like it takes a little bit. Sometimes it doesn't show in the blood work right away that there's an infection, but you're starting to see some other signs. And I think that it can feel scary as a parent to talk. Like I, I always felt like, oh my gosh, what, what are they going to think? Like, I don't know the right words and I don't know the right terminology, but I think the more you start being a part of the team, the faster you start to be a part of the team, the easier it is to be continue to be um, part of those rounds and share what you're seeing and not seeing. And I, I think that um, it's really important for your child too. And I think that the more you force yourself, even if it is a little bit out of your comfort zone, then when you're at home, because you've talked through these things, because you've tried to pay attention to them, you can be a better caretaker at home because eventually you get home and your baby is still fragile and they're not just a normal newborn or a normal one-year-old. They, they've been through a lot in a few weeks before that or a few days before that. And you have to be able to know kind of what's happening so that you can call if something's going wrong or that you notice what's happening and changing. And that's a, I, it's a lot on a mom close to the hospital it's a lot on the mom like me who's 65 miles from the hospital um how did you best keep track um of things that were happening are you somebody who writes stuff down do you did you text it to yourself or or what did you do to keep track of everything um because Everly um the Norwood surgery that she had the first one um her first one at three days old automatically um, the hospital puts those babies into a high-risk clinic where we have our own nurse practitioner for a very small amount of children that have had that surgery at that time. And um, then we also have a PT, a speech, all these people that are just for us, as well as two cardiologists. And every day I had to write down every single time she ate, how many milliliters she ate, what time she ate at, how much she took by mouth, how much she took via NG tube, how much she weighed in the morning, how much she gained or lost the day from the day before to the thousandth of a kilogram. And then I had to give them all those numbers every day or other day, depending on how the weekends fell. So they automatically set me up writing it. I probably would have written it down myself because your days blur together otherwise. Um, you know, even I just had like a box on there, like morning meds, afternoon meds, evening meds, just to remind myself that I had given them, even though I could look in the sink and see the 5,000 syringes. But, um, I did, I wrote it all down. Um, even when she got out of the high risk clinic, um, about 13 months later, I, it took me a long time to be able to slowly move away from writing it all down. Cause I was so used to having it all written there. Um, but it was really helpful when we were able to go back, like as she was having other surgeries and watching trends. Um, and then they entered all that data into their computer system so that we could chart her oxygen levels, kind of determine when her next surgery should be. So as I'm kind of listening to you and thinking about all the things that you've done and are in your head, I'm realizing <laughs> Everly is not your only child, but you've got Jack too. And from what I know about you is Jack's done a lot of special things. And so will you tell us a little bit about Jack and what he's done for his sister? Sure. And I will tell you too, that when she was first born, I, I don't know if I upset was the right word, but I was like, gosh, you know, I just, they're so far apart. I wish my kids were a little closer together. Like, are they really going to be close being five years apart? And I 
wasn't really ready for Jack to go to kindergarten, but he was ready. He has a March birthday. I just was like, I don't want him to go to school all day. It's such a long day. I'm going to miss him. But I'm I'm glad he was in kindergarten when she came home from the Norwood. So she had it in August. She was born August 2nd. And she got home like a day or so before he started school. And I'm actually glad he was at school because there was so much that I had to do during the day that I wouldn't have been able to give him the attention I wanted to because he, for five and a half years, he had me and my husband and my parents and my brother and my sister-in-law, he had everybody's attention. And then to all of a sudden, I mean, Everly needed care like every second of the day. Um, so I, I was kind of relieved that he was at school and he was busy and he had things to do. Um, Jack is really sensitive um, and he's very aware um, and very, he notices everything that's happening pretty much. <laughs> um, he's listening when you don't even know he's listening. <laughs> and he had a lot of questions, you know, being five and a half, like he wasn't a two-year-old just, you know, and he had seen other people's babies come home and other people have siblings and our, our, experience was different like all of a sudden it was like well nobody can come in our house anymore there's no more play dates um you know just a lot changed mine's not going to leave the house pretty much at all because somebody needed to be able to take care of the baby who has an ng2 like you can't be like hey i have a babysitter and if her ng falls out stick that back in her nose i mean um and then pulled in places in hit and I was like, well, I should probably try not to get out much either because that's exposing me and somebody has to stay as healthy as possible with her. Um, and so we, some of these things kind of just fell into our lap. Some of the things that we, Jack has done. Um, but he, he likes to tell people and explain to people about what's happened with Everly and talk about, things that we can do to help other people. So the first thing he kind of started doing was um, he really liked staying at Ronald McDonald's house and because it meant that he got to see me um, and that he got to visit Everly. And typically we try to have him keep as much normalcy as possible, which means going to school during the week and coming on the weekends. And so Ronald McDonald house gave him somewhere special to come where he could spend a night with me and my husband could spend the night in the hospital. And so while we were there, we saw that you could collect pop tabs and a company, um, a recycling company would recycle them all and then give the money from the aluminum to Ronald McDonald House. So Jack started collecting pop tabs and he started to tell kids at school he was collecting pop tabs. And then all of a sudden, everybody found out we were collecting pop tabs and his goal was to collect a million. And if you collect a million, you get a, your name up at the wall, on the wall at Ronald McDonald House, and you get a certificate. And he got his first million he should, in about a year, um, which is like 790 pounds worth of pop tab. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So he's about a third of the way to a second million. And honestly, it's, it's a really easy thing to collect. Um, it's a really easy thing to do to make a difference without having to – you know, nobody else has, nobody has to donate something else. It's something you maybe are already doing and you just save it. And now everybody saves their pop tabs for us and their cousins and their friends, cousins, and everybody saves them. And then they're always thinking about Everly or the Ronald McDonald house every time they drink a can of pop and they are, you know, even now they're starting to make water in cans. Um, and so that's been a really neat way for Jack to spread some awareness about Ronald McDonald House and what it does for families, um, especially families like us who are driving two plus hours every day to and from the hospital. You don't want to be two hours from your baby when they are not doing well. Just, you know, and when your baby's in the ICU, there's not a shower in there because that's not sanitary for an ICU. So that's the Ronald McDonald House is where you shower. Um so then um, Jack was hard, not hard, but like we, we used to be busy every week, had stuff to do, go places. Um, and so in the winter, we were kind of stir crazy because we needed to find things to do in our house during cold and flu season. 
and he really liked arts and crafts. So one day I saw um, that Starlight Children's Foundation was having a contest, and if you made a gown, Michael's Craft Store would give a gown to some kid somewhere in the United States. And I was like, well, this is great. Let's design a hospital gown. Jack, what would you do? What do you want to do? And we picked out the paint and the glitter. And it's always a joke in our house. My husband hates glitter because you know it. You like to get rid of glitter. glitter. I'm like, okay, great. Use glitter. Do whatever you want. Right. Well, Starlight Children's Foundation calls like a month or so later. And they're like, so Jack's a finalist. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Okay. And so that kind of really started um, a lot of the awareness work that we have done. Um, cause Everly was a little bit older. She had already had her second open heart surgery. It was starting to be spring. Um, and Jack was really able to see all the lives that he was making a difference for. So fast forward, Jack won the contest and, uh, 30,000 kids are wearing his gown. So we in nationwide, um, it's amazing. Yeah. And it's really, really neat for him to see. I sat down at my counter and I did this and now look at these kids who are so much happier. And, um, part of why Jack really thought it was great to make a hospital gown was because a little before Everly was born, he had to have a surgery to um, fix a hole in his ear. He had ear tubes and his ear didn't, his hole didn't close all the way. So there was some hearing loss and he was so angry about the hospital gown. Mom, I want to keep my underwear on. They can see my butt. This has an opening. I know, but this is, and he, at the time, was like, this is inappropriate, inappropriate to see people's butt. Inappropriate. <laughs> well, Starlight Gowns were um, created by a girl. Her name is Summer. She started Brave Gowns. And Brave Gowns and Starlight Children's Foundation have worked together to try to get a lot of gowns in kids' hands. And so Summer's brother had passed away of cancer. And so she created these gowns that would not, that would give kids more privacy. And so he really likes that now all these kids, we have all these pictures of tons of kids across the nation wearing these gowns that Jack designed that give the kids more privacy, thanks to Summer's design and Starlight Children's Foundation for having the contest and making 30,000 of Jack's gowns. Um, And that really allowed him to see how much it could help other kids. Like when the kids who could talk would get the gown and they'd send a video and be like, thanks, Jack, for making this. You made me smile. Um, while I was in the hospital and then he was like, Oh, well, I want to make more kids smile in the hospital because he saw his sister doing really bad in the hospital. And he, he knows that it's not easy to get a kid who's feeling really junky to smile. So, um, kind of from there, we just started doing just more as we were able, like as Evie was healthy, we would try to spread some awareness, um, try to do things that would help make a difference for other families. And um, also I just, it's important to my husband and I that Jack realizes um, all the things people did to help us, Um, whether it was bring us dinner at our house or whether it was at Ronald McDonald's house um, where people come in and cook meals there. We went back and cooked the meal there because I want, I want Jack to see how much it helped us, like what it, what those people were doing to make that meal just appear. Um, just because, I mean, the reality is that we're going to keep going back. We're going to keep having surgeries. We're going to keep being at Ronald McDonald House. Um, we're going to keep advocating for um, research for um, heart defects because here's the great thing. These kids are living now into, you know, their 20s or so. Well, now there aren't adult cardiologists who know what to do with these kids because an adult cardiologist that your dad or your grandpa would go to doesn't know how to handle this hurt that looks totally different. So there's so much education to be done. And before it was just keep these kids alive, but now, now they're alive. So how do we improve their quality of life? Because why do all these heart babies have stomach problems, gut problems, digestion issues, we couldn't look, you know, doctors, people, we couldn't look at that before because it was just keep them alive, keep them alive, keep them alive. Well, you know, so we're going to keep advocating for these things because I, my hope is that babies like Everly will have an easier time because of things we've done, because there are people before us whose children didn't have it as easy as Everly did, or maybe aren't even here to share what's happened to them. And we're grateful for 
those people who have come before us and those doctors and nurses who have dedicated their lives to making improvements. Um, last Friday night, I was at um, an event and Everly's Hospital actually um, just hired a new surgeon because one surgeon is starting to retire um, because he's in his mid seventies now. And the surgeon said, I was lucky enough. I got to sit next to him. I don't know how I got that lucky, but I was sitting right next to him. And he's, we were talking about his own kids and stuff and how it's been really important for him to show his own kids who are like 18, 23, you know, um, older now. They're both in college. I think college one's getting out of college. And he said, he made a comment like, I want my kids to see why their dad wasn't around a lot when they were little. And I think it's important to realize the sacrifice that these people give and that their families give. Um, so I like Jack to see that too. Um, just how incredible these people are that they have dedicated their lives to saving our baby's lives. And there's things that they've missed because they were saving our child's life. Um, and so I'm kind of a, I, I, I would, I really liked to work. Um, I liked my job. I liked being a teacher. I liked being a literacy coach. I liked helping teachers learn how to teach literacy better. And so as soon as things calmed down a little bit with Everly, I like to stay busy. So in addition to our daily routine, I kind of like having some other stuff going, whether it's projects, you know, like making things to donate to the hospital for families, you know, things like hats and onesies and things that you they just brighten your day a little bit you know coloring books things like that um so that's kind of what we what we do in between our regular day-to-day routines and I kind of just say yes to everything that is going to help other people and I like it like that that's just incredible I mean my mind is just racing thinking about all of the things that you go through each and every day. And the fact that you found the time to to talk with our listeners on this podcast just means so much because I know there's a lot of other moms and whether it be a heart defect that's similar to Everly's or not, they're going to, it's going to resonate with uh, a lot of things that you've said today and your perspective is just amazing. I know it's not all, it's not all easy um, at all, but thank you so much for sharing it with us today. And um, I'd love for you to just tell us quickly about the book that you have written. And now it's all making sense that you're a literacy coach um, and you guys have this awesome book, but can you tell us about that? Sure. That totally fell into my lap and it is an incredible organization, which I'm so glad it did. Um, on Instagram, the company, sometimes people like friend request me on Instagram and I'm, I'm always, I like stock them before I say yes, because why do you want to be, how do you know me? Why do you want to be friends with me? And so books that heal wanted to be my Instagram friend. I was like, okay, well, let me look at them. Let me see who this is. Is this a real company? Um, and I started looking at them and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a 503C where kids get to write their own book about um, whatever they're going through. Like pediatric patients get to write their own book about whatever they're going through. This is incredible. So I and he said, um, you know, I, I'm in the business world, but I have this passion for journalism and writing. And so I started this 503C because my ch- sister is a child life specialist. So that just, and I do a lot with the Ronald McDonald House Charity in New York. And so it just all kind of came together. And I said, wow, that's really cool. And he goes, so do you, do you think Abby wants to write a book? And I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't, I don't think you have a two-year-old, do you? And he was like, no, I don't. I said, well, that's, she's not really going to be able to write a book. And he goes, okay, well. Not yet. <laughs> how about Jack? And I said, sure, Jack would love to write a book. And he goes, maybe Evie will make all the illustrations. I'm like, yeah. You, again, you don't have a two-year-old. Evie paints her face. Sure. I mean, <laughs> she doesn't paint the paper. She, like, puts the paint all over her face. She thinks it's makeup. Right. And he goes, well, okay. Well, it would still be great if Jack told the story. Like, we haven't had a book about CHD yet. Um we just think that this would be really great. So if it's something you're interested, we would love to publish this book. So there's so much freedom, so much flexibility. He gave me some guidelines. He said, if you guys want to illustrate it, great. You want me to hire an illustrator? Great. If you want me to help you guys write it? Great. 
shape, you let me know. Kind of start thinking about what you guys want to do and go from there. Um, Jack really wanted to do a lot of it. I was like, okay, great. And then we used some of Evie's handprints and footprints, and we used a lot of photographs. Um, but basically, this company is incredible. They, you give them all the stuff that you want to make it the book, or they help you make it, you know, however it works best for your family. And then they work with publishers to publish the book. And then all the proceeds go to whatever charity or foundation you want them to go to. So in our case, I let Jack pick and he had a very hard time picking because he's got so many things he wants to give it to, but he ended up deciding on um, the heart Institute, which is in the hospital that Everly goes to. He really wanted it to go to Everly's hospital. It's like, we collect pop tabs for Ronald McDonald. We do this. Let's put it here. So, um, yeah, so we decided to write the book because like I mentioned before, I felt really, really alone. And, um, there's been times where Jack has felt alone too. And he's been like, I don't understand why this happened to us. Like I keep asking Santa to fix my sister's heart. Like, why does this not happen to other people? Why does this only happen to me? He has felt alone and um, he wants to help other siblings who are going through, you know, it's a lot on a sibling. It's not just a lot on the mom. It's a lot on our whole family. Um, he wants to help some of those other kids not feel as alone. And so he, we tried to write the book very kid friendly. Um, he came up with all the ideas. I put them in chronological order and then we kind of went back and forth revising. Um, and we have gotten the nicest messages from strangers, from people that don't have babies that would, that are medically complex or medically fragile, just, um, who have just fallen, fallen in love with the book and just have been so nice to Jack and just are like, Jack, gosh, I can't believe you did that. And which is the Starlight Gown Contest and then the book has given him a lot of really great um, positive attention about, you know, all it was all about him for so long. And then all of a sudden it was nothing about him. And people in their best intentions would see him and be like, hi, Jack, how's your sister? And all, and no longer was it, hi, Jack, how are you? How's school? How's your sister? You know, all of a sudden it changed. Um, and he never said anything about it. It was just something I kind of observed. And these things just happened to happen. And he's just a sweet kid and wanted to do them. He wasn't, he didn't know he was going to get the kind of attention he got from it. But I, I'm grateful he did because I think it's been nice for him um, for some of the focus, a little bit of the focus to go back on him a little bit too. Um, and now we actually have um, a couple people I know that I think are starting working on their books with Books That Heal. So um, some different uh, medical things, but just to help spread some awareness about what it's like. And um, I've read some of the other books and they are all very different, all very different illustrations, all very different stories, but they're very neat. Um, this is a really cool company. And so I'm thrilled that we did it. And, you know, um, it's been left open. Like if Abby wants to write her own when she's a little older, she can, she's able to do that too. It's and not like a one I, and done like, kind of a thing. I'm just resonating with what you said about um, Jack, just not even realizing the impact that he's had because I was watching one of the news segments and I think it was the one where they showed him the gown that he made um, and they're like, do you know what this means? And he's like, what? And he's like, you won. And he's like, what? You know, like it just, <laughs> I know, totally it shocked, shocked him. Yeah. And I just, I love that. And you're right. A lot of times, um, siblings can unintentionally just have to take a back seat, um, just because literally you're keeping another child alive and other people are thinking about her too. So Jack has certainly made his way, um, and made such an impact, not only on Everly, I just keep thinking about on so many different kids. So he is amazing. I know. And I always think maybe it's not something I'm going to do in my life. Maybe it's somebody that I'm, maybe it's somebody I'm raising, or maybe it's some kid that I teach that I'm going to, by sharing our story, it's going to inspire them to go into science to create something or one of Jack's friends because Jack's spreading awareness, you know, like, you just never know what kind of domino effect there is because of some of the things we've been asked to do and lucky enough to do. Um, so yeah, we've, I'm really grateful for all the, um, 
opportunities our families had to try to make yeah well I think there's just no doubt about it that you have so you can just check that off the list you've made an impact and a contribution (laughs) it's done because you the quote that you sent me was like your greatest contribution to the world may not be something you do but someone you raise and that's just right they're so lucky that you're their mom well thank you I'm lucky they're mine too If you'd like information about any of the resources that Lauren mentioned, like Ronald McDonald House Charities or Starlight Children's Foundation, Books That Heal, take a look at the Child Life On Call social media pages and our show notes page, and I will link to all of the videos and things that their family has shared if you'd like to learn more. If you'd like to follow along in real time with Lauren, you can find them on Instagram at happilyeverlyafter9417, or on Facebook, you can check out their page titled Jack and Everly. As always, I am so grateful for you for tuning in and listening to this podcast, and of course, to the families who share with us the realness that is having a child that has medical needs. Follow along with me on Instagram and Facebook at Child Life on Call. If you'd like to submit your story to the podcast or if you just have any general questions, please feel free to email me at info at childlifepodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening.